Hi everyone, welcome back to Chat Shit Get Fit and welcome back to Chat of the PTs. This is the series where we chat with health and fitness professionals from a wide range of backgrounds about a wide range of topics. This week we are joined by Rory Brown. He's been in this industry for over 10 years now, but it was about four years ago he decided to change tracks as it were and leave behind conventional PTing and work to help people break free from binge eating and heal their relationship with mind, body and food, whether this is done in a private capacity or in clinic working with Rini McGregor, a name that might be familiar if you're a regular around here. We explore his journey in some detail, looking at early aspirations of acting to all coming crumbling down, leading to a difficult period in his life when facing the challenges of an eating disorder. All of the experiences we explore lead us to where he is now, and this is why he believes he's so good at what he does. He's been there too. We also discuss two things that have had a big impact, not only on himself, but his clients, and that is breath work and meditation. Might not sound like your cup of tea initially, but listening, it does make sense, and a lot of it comes back to this core issue we face as a society, and that is stress. Yes, we do live in a society. Honestly, guys, there's so much to take away from this one, so let's do it. Let's take a big breath in, and let it out. Feels good, right? Now, try to take away as much as you can from this one. Let's get into it. Good evening, gentlemen. Good evening, Bill. How are we doing? I'm oh, very well. Welcome back. Hello. Hello. Oh, is that another voice? I've got a third that, voice. That, That's not my inner voice. No, that's not your inner voice. It's a, was that I not, generally was a third I not voice. supposed to do that? <laughs> no, of course you were. Of course you were. Um, we're back, guys. We, we, we had a week off. Um, for those of you who are regular listeners, uh, we're back with a guest. We thought we'd come out of a punchy episode. Something we think is going to be a good one. Well, I hope it's going to be a good one. I've a big job now, Rory. Hopefully, uh, <laughs> ho- hopefully by the end of it. Don't worry, I'll do, I'll do my best, guys. I'll do my do best. Do your best, cool. Um, but this time we have got a guest on, but it is part of the Chat with PT series because if you are, I said, a regular around here, you know, we've had a few guests on uh, in the last few weeks, but it's been sort of one off specials, diving into certain topics. But this time it's Chat with PTs where we're going to dive into Rory uh, and hear all about the, the magic that he has to offer the world of health and fitness. So, what normally happens with these chat and PTs is we like to start with a little bit of an icebreaker uh, and we're going to dive into some gym pet peeves. Now, people really like these, uh, but we are going to rank them. We're going to get your top three, but we're going to rank them. Um, I'll leave this to Tom normally. Tom, what, what scale are we going for this week? Let's go for the old classic. Let's go okay, straight classic. into the RPC oh, Jesus, skill. Right, okay. Skill? Scale? Sorry. Sorry, I'm still jet lagged. Brace yourself, Rory. Um, so, Rory, we all know about the RPE scale. Yeah. Rate of perceived exertion with one being very low and 10 being you know, vomit-inducingly difficult. Uh, when it comes to pet peeves, we like to rate things on the RPC scale. So being men of culture, we like to judge things by how terrible they are by using the rate of perceived country. <laughs> With one being, well, that's not very cuntish at all. That's actually, that's normal. Yeah, that's fine. That very normal. <laughs> and 10 okay. being, well, this is like nuclear cuntish. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, I love, I love, but... <laughs> I love how, yeah, one, one minute 50 in where everyone's dropping the C-bombs already. Um, oh, don't mess it about here. We have a quota. Okay, hey, that's, that's really, you get, get paid for the more uh, for the more C's you drop in. Um, I had to I had to think about this one, and here are my top three, right? I, I was just chilling out earlier and I wrote these down on my phone. Number one, the smell of a protein shaker when you've left it in your car five days after you've been at the gym that's that smell is never oh. ever ever coming out that's the first one what we're scaling tom your tom your actions there were sort of as if you were reminiscing yeah we've know, all been there those things where <laughs> mm. we've all been there and it's one of those things where it's 
you know, like straight away where you have such a horrendous experience, you could relive it by closing your eyes. Yeah. Like straight away, I can smell it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's I awful, isn't smell it? it? And you know what? You said specifically, oh, in the back of a car, which I quite like because look, I've had protein shakers left like in the gym bag before and I've forgotten about them. And yeah, they've always smelled awful, but it's something about the back of a car. And I don't know if it's like to do with the heat. heat yeah. Must be. And I'll be honest with you, my my car admin is absolutely terrible anyway. I have one of the most, you know, having a family of, you know, two kids, I have the messiest car in the West London area. So I'm terrible for leaving things on the back seat and forgetting them anyway. And yeah, like for me, that is a solid, solid eight. Yeah, it's up there, isn't it? It's a solid eight. That is a that is frustrating. It's what what do you what do you do when you approach it though, Tom? Because it's like you know when you when you grab that protein shake, if you know it's been there for days, it's almost like you know you've got to open it to to deal with the issue. But you're kind of like, you, I don't want to because I know what's going to happen. <laughs> I just throw it away. I just throw it away. It's happened throw a couple away, of times. Yeah. I just don't. Yeah. I just yeah. don't even bother because even when you've washed it out real good, fairy liquid in it for a yeah. couple of days, bicarbonate of soda, the smell is like stuck in the mm. plastic. See, I just the chuck plastic, them. Yeah. yeah, you. You probably have to have like the, the grit of an EOD member or some kind of bomb disposal <laughs> bomb when you disposal. go to open those things because you know what it's going to smell like. Mm. But you just know that inevitably either it has to be done or you just have to save the, you know, take it on the chin and just, yeah, bin it. Kind of like Schindler's, you know, not Schindler, fucking, oh, what's the guy with the cat? I've got the cat. The cat. The guy with the cat. You know what I mean? The cat where you don't know if it's dead or if it's alive, depending on whether the box gets opened. I was going to do my head in I now. I have no idea. Uh, Robert, you got I have no, idea, Tom, I've no idea what you're talking about, pal. I'm sorry. Yeah. Schrodinger's cat. I don't know why I said Schindler. I'm thinking that's, Schindler's yeah, list. No, that's where <laughs> I was like, where are you different. going with fuck? Schindler's list? Like, what's, what, what is this podcast? <laughs> yeah. I, don't, yeah. I, I, I don't even think Schindler had a cat in the movie. So, like, I don't know where I confused the two there. Yeah, where's your brain going there, yeah. Tom? Anyway. Uh, right, that was number one. So you've, you've, scaled, you've scaled that eight. You've scaled that eight out of ten. Um, yeah, eight. The yeah. second thing was health and fitness influencers who have no education. Health and fitness influencers. Mm. These are these are guys and girls with big followers who sell their products based on how they look uh, and the misinformation that they're putting out there. That is a proper pet peeve. Yeah, sure. I mean that that's very common. I think you find that with everyone. What was it? Yeah, everyone. Yeah. I th- <laughs> You get you get a lot of uh, celebrities are fine doing it. I, mm. My mind's gone to Love Island because that's the thing that's on TV at the moment. People who are um, they've got they've amassed a big following because of the way they look, and it's almost like I don't know if they're just grabbing programs off of they get other people to do programs, but they're using themselves to sell them, or they're just winging it. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, or they're just winging be... it completely. But either way, it's 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 pretty poor. Mm. Yeah, that really does my head. Yeah, <laughs> I, I doubt very much they're designing them themselves. I mean, that, that's a high. That's got to be high, isn't it, Tom? Yeah, that's a, that, that, that's a solid 10 for me. Yeah. And one of the biggest issue is, I mean, it's frustrating enough that people are kind of like ex- going way out of their lane to like talk about something they have no qualification or certification or formal education in talking about. But one of my biggest issues is, so I, I, I work in a commercial gym and it's quite shocking like how there are people that are clearly personal trained on the gym floor, but... They don't actually have any kind of qualifications. Bear in mind, they're not employed, but these are people that are like sneakily coming to the gym, oh, okay. pretending that they're training their mate, mm. but they're actually taking money for it. Now, my biggest gripe, apart from it's been seriously cheeky, is that you're not even insured. You can't get insured unless you actually have the accreditation. So you actually, there's this massive breach of trust where if that person gets injured, 
what the fuck are you going to do? Mm. You know, if they lose a finger or something seriously dramatic happens, you're not even insured to cover them. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, massive, massive. Uh, that's a solid ten for me. You're dealing with people's health at the end of the day, and some people have very serious issues going on. And if you have absolutely no idea what's going on, even at a basic level, that's actually very dangerous. Mm. Yeah, and if you know you're intentionally training someone without even being insured for it, then yeah, it's a massive issue. Yeah, it's definitely a ten, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Um, preying on people's vulnerabilities as well. People are actively looking yes. for people yes. who can help them, and these people are. Uh, flush with false promises. I think that's the biggest problem for me. That was number two. Mm. And then the third one, this is more gym floor stuff. Let's consider the the premise of progressive overload. And let's say I want those little 1.25ers. But throughout the day, everyone's been stacking the 10s, the 20s, the 25s. So I go to the gym tree, right, where all the plates are. And I'm thinking, what the hell? The 1.25 is like eight plates back. This is half of my workout trying to get these damn things off. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a that's an easy ten yeah, or eleven gymnastic, for me. Gymnastic, well, gymnastic, be, yeah. Because that is once again something I have to do with on a daily basis. We have like a, a whole row of power racks where they've got the actual. They've actually got like the the Christmas tree kind of like pins attached to the racks itself, the plate holders, mm-hmm. and these are big Olympic plates. You know, we have twenty five kilos that go in there as well, and you'll get like the you know one point two is pinched in between the rack. And a whole bunch of red plates, and it's just like yeah. it's just such a lack of etiquette. Mm. Probably yeah. it comes back to that thing that Tom we always use that that shopping trolley analogy, don't we? Of how when one person does it, it's just a chain effect, isn't it? If people just like yeah, everyone just goes, it goes on. Oh, and the next thing you know, it said the one point two five is ten plates deep. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah, it doesn't it doesn't cost them to just simply put it back where it should go, and it helps out society in a massive way. But, you know, we do live in a society, so it's the problem straight away. Um, But, you know, all it takes is one person to fuck it up, and there's that domino effect of, well, why should I bother putting it back correctly? Mm. Everything else is a mess. Why should I bother? And it's just like an endless, vicious cycle. Yeah. Yeah. We need to lead by example, men. Yeah. We need to lead by example. We do, yeah. We do. Yeah, those are are my three pet peeves. I feel I've, I've, I've scored pretty high on them. You've scored very high, Rory. That's some some, some punchy ones there. I think a couple of tens <laughs> yeah. there. Can't go wrong with that. I'm so I'm, I'm actually so frustrated. I've straightened out my USB <laughs> lamp. <laughs> it's usually curls, and it's just I'm so frustrated. I've just <laughs> gone straight. Yeah. I tell you what, I bet it's good for stirring a coffee. There you go. Oh, sorted, God. Bill. We sorted it. We was talking beforehand. And my, my missus made me a coffee, and it was too powdery. She's not stirred it. I hope that's, de- I hope that's decaf. Can. I hope that's decaf, Tom. Yeah, but this time. Oh, it's a mocha, so something to see, but lovely. Right. Let's crack on. Oh my, I hope that was clean. Yeah, probably. I don't know. It's like <laughs> being in the drawer, isn't it? Anyway, let, let's move this on. We're going to dive into kind of your experience in this industry. So from what I can see, you spent more than 10 years in this industry. And forgive me if I'm wrong, but you started out sort of looking at recreational professional athletes. Is that right? Mm, yeah. Yeah. So I, 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 do you know what? I'll, I'll sort of backtrack a little bit to what happened prior mm. to that because it's influential in, in my journey and how things unfolded for me. Okay. Growing up, I wanted to be an actor. That's what I really, really wanted to do. I saw myself on the big stage, wanted to be in the movies, loved being in theater. And during my time at high school, 
I was a real high achiever when it came to the practical application of drama, and I had just landed myself a role. There was a private organization who had written a play for our school, and we were to be traveling around Australia. And I got the lead role. So we were going to be traveling around Australia, performing in the Sydney Opera House. You know, it was going to be a real good gig, two, three weeks over there and then back. And I thought, well, that's going to work wonders for me in terms of my applications to these big drama schools. So yeah. I'm in. Anyway, got caught doing some stupid stuff. Parents took me off the trip. And so suddenly I'm at school thinking, oh, what the hell? I feel like my, my dreams have, have kind of ended quite abruptly. So I quit. I quit A-levels. And to keep me out of trouble, mum and dad signed me up to a gym, a local gym. And prior to that, I hadn't been massively interested in, in health and fitness. Everyone always says, oh, you must have been super sporty when you were growing up. It's like, no, not at all. I, used to, I loved skateboarding. Um, I was always pretty handy at racket sports, loved a bit of table tennis and squash and badminton and what have you, but, but nothing ever on a competitive level. And yet when I found myself in this gym-based setting, I really, really enjoyed it. And it was very early into me signing up to this gym. It was an old LA fitness at the time, I believe. And I'm looking around, I'm seeing what these personal trainers are doing. And I'm thinking, well, hey, I love being with people and I'm really loving exercise. So why not put these two things together? So I then went and did my fitness instructor qualifications. I then went and did my personal training qualifications. I then went and did my advanced personal tra training qualifications. And during this time, I just found myself really working in a gym as a glorified cleaner. You know, I spent the majority of my time cleaning machines and handing out automated programs to people. And I was thinking, ah, this is shit. I don't enjoy this at all. Um, what would this look like if I went self-employed? So I did. And I, it's crazy when I think back on my journey, right? I started in my, in my parents' house. I think I was self-employed by the time I was 17 or 18. And I was working from a spare bedroom in the house. So, you know, my clients would like knock on the door, my parents would answer, the clients would like walk in the house, come up the stairs with me, go to the end of the landing to one of the spare rooms. And I think I didn't have a huge budget at the time. I think I had a bench, uh, a set of dumbbells and maybe a Davina McCall step, like an aerobic step. And um, slowly but surely, I just got inundated with clients. The, the bedroom setup then got too small, so then I upgraded to the garage, which was great during the summer and terrible during the winter because it got so damn cold in there. But again, my clients didn't care. They just loved it. We always had a good time. And <clears throat> when we then extended the house, I then set up a private studio. And I just continued to work out of there. It didn't make any sense kind of getting a private setup facility just because of costs and overheads. Um, and I did that for a long period of time. And I absolutely, yeah, I loved it. Throughout that time, this is where my journey started to transition, is the individuals that I was working with, and, and you guys will have this as, as PTs, because this isn't something I do anymore. I don't PT anymore. I, I changed my career a period of time ago, as, as we'll go into details. But something that started this transition into my new line of work was I'm working with individuals. And you know how it is. You will be approached by a variety of clientele. Some people come in and they say, this is, exact, this is what I want to do. And you say, great, this is how we're going to do it. And they are able to follow the plan to the T. You'll also get other people coming in who have a similar objective. And yet when we start implementing a plan of action, it's then excuse is the wrong word, <clears throat> but it's every reason under the sun as to why they weren't able to do X, Y, and Z throughout the week. And so this got me questioning. It's like, what's the difference? What's going on here? What's the difference between the clients who come with this level of readiness and willingness and are able to follow through with what it is that we're setting out compared to the clients who aren't? And this is obviously when I was introduced to the power of the mind. 
because it wasn't until I started studying behavior and behavioral therapy that I was like, wow, this is why. There are so many factors that contribute to someone's success. And I think a danger for a lot of personal trainers within the health and fitness industry is that they look at the concept of health through tunnel vision. Health is like, are you hitting your macros and are you hitting your three workouts? And it's like, hey, man, what about sleep? What about stress management? How's things at home? Right? How's work going? How's relationship stuff going? We have to take into account health is is multifaceted. And and so this was really cool because once I started studying the mind, it was then exponential in terms of the the impact I was able to have on my clients. Because it suddenly wasn't just about health and fitness. We were starting to include mind, body, behavior on a mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual level. And um, fast forward to now, it, it, I, I had a, a pretty distinct uh, career change probably mm, three years ago or three and a half years ago, maybe nearly even four now. I started working for Rena McGregor, who you guys had on a couple of weeks ago. She's my clinical supervisor. Absolutely yeah. love her. She, she's a, a great friend and, and has been an amazing mentor and supervisor. Um, I started retraining about seven or eight years ago. So started off with just a simple psychology diploma. And I was like, wow, this is cool. We're looking at the science behind the mind, the science behind behaviors. Mm. And I then just went into a complete like further learning where I really pressed pause on the personal training side of things. I then retrained in psychotherapy in aspects of addiction and depression. Uh, I then went on to do NLP, which is neuro-linguistic programming. Uh, I then went on to do a second round of NLP style uh, practices, which incorporated a holistic approach. So looking at at mind and body with aspects of the West and the Eastern principles, because I think they both complement each other very, very well. Uh, And then recently, I've just finished another bout of further studies, which was in childhood trauma and addiction. And this has all led me now to to being a behavioral therapist in the context of working with people with eating disorders. So quite a transition from the the fitness industry, but also incredibly applicable, very applicable Mm. given the relationship that a lot of people who enter the gym floor have with themselves and with their relationship with food and with their relationship with body, body image, etc., which kind of feeds into what we were talking about uh, at the start of the session. There's a, there are mixed messages within the health and fitness industry. And, you know, even outside of the health and fitness industry, it is a societal message that thin means successful. Okay. No doubt about it. Thin means successful. Mm. So we live in a society where people's people are in a pursuit for perfection. And it is my job to help them reframe that and to actually explore the underlying root causes but behind that sort of superficial desired outcome. And here I am now. You talk about behavior change quite a lot because I know this is something that Tom is like super into. Yeah. This, is, this is like a big passion of his behavior change. Would you, would you, what, what would you say on the whole thing of, do you reckon it should become a part of the curriculum in terms of training to be a personal trainer? Because I feel like to have good success, long-term success with any client, behavior change needs to be kind of at the core of it. Because 100%. a lot of people, the reason they struggle to get to goal X, Y, Z is because they haven't got, they need to change their behaviors. They need to build the habits. Mm-hmm. Um, the PT level three now, they can tell you how to do a program. They can tell you the basics of nutrition, for example, or eat, you know, eat more protein, eat this many calories, blah, blah. But that doesn't really help anyone if they're so deep rooted mm-hmm. in a certain behavior. Mm-hmm. If you have no idea how to get them out of that behavior, then what use are you? So I, I, I don't know what you think. I think it should potentially be, a, you know, it should be a core part of the curriculum um, as opposed to probably what it is now. Mate, I'm 100% on board with you. 
it's interesting, isn't it? There are certain lines of work. Consider the hairdresser. The hairdresser also has the role of the counselor and the therapist because people come in and have the opportunity yeah, to sit with that individual <laughs> for 45 minutes to an hour and they get to talk in a safe setting with an individual who's not going to you know, go and, and, and uh, divulge that information with anyone else. I kind of think it's the same with personal training. You know, there would be sessions that I would have with clients and they would come in and I'd be thinking, hey, are you, are you all right? Like you look a little tired. What kind of, you know, what, what's going on? And we might then spend the majority of the session of them just offloading, you know. And, and again, that was, yeah. it wasn't a stage in my life where I was able to advise, but I was just there to listen. And then at the end, you know, we might have 10 or 15 minutes and they'd say, oh, I'm so sorry. I've just spoken my whole way through the session. It's like, hey, that was today's workout. That's what you needed to do. You've exercised in the, the mind gym today. Okay, that's what you needed to do. So I think uh, this is a huge piece of the puzzle that's missing uh, in terms of the integrity of personal trainers as well. So I'm really being able to align with what I hope their mission and purpose is to be able to help and serve others. Um, I think if, if personal trainers had the ability to learn more about the fundamentals, even from a point of view of like being able to notice some of the red flags, Okay, mm. to notice that client who's like, "Hey, you, you like you've been in the gym a lot this week. Like, have you taken a rest day? Yeah, or like, uh, you know, maybe if it's a weight loss style program, it's like, "Hey, you've actually you, you've you've lost a considerable amount of weight in the last two weeks. Like, is everything okay? Just being able to address some of these things along the way, I think, would have a huge impact in the health and fitness industry. Mm. And fundamentally, going back to this piece I was talking about, health and how multifaceted health is for personal trainers to be educated in all of those aspects. Okay. The mental, the physical, the emotional, the spiritual, because that is truly how we can help someone create significant change in their life. You can't just create, you can't medicate your problems or mask your problems by having a perfect body or by following the perfect training plan or eating the perfect diet. It's not going to work. You've kind of touched on a lot of the education you've done in this sort of field to get you into the place you are now, but something I want to talk about, and I know you've been quite open with it um, on your sort of social media stuff, is your experiences specifically with the eating disorder stuff where you kind of, you could say you specialize now that's obviously had a big impact on your life and kind of put you in a position to maybe help these people. I mean, do you, do you want to go into kind of that and how that's kind of shaped you into speciality, uh, the, you know, the specialty you're in now? Mm. So late teens and early 20s, I was feeling pretty lost in life. It was quite a knock with the transition of moving from what I had thought was going to be my dream goal, getting into drama, etc., to then suddenly the, the rug being pulled from beneath my feet. Uh, at the same time, I was in an unhappy relationship. I didn't know how to communicate. I didn't like confrontation. I didn't know how to express my needs in that context. And <clears throat> slowly but surely, I just found myself using food and exercise as a coping mechanism. And, and this is the premise for any form of eating disorder for anyone listening. And, and I'm sure obviously Rini covered this in, in the talk that she had with you guys. Eating disorders, whilst the symptoms that are being presented include things like exercise, dependency, body image related issues, restriction or overeating, you know, the binge bulimic style cycles, the problem is nothing to do with food. Okay, the problem is that you are using those as a coping mechanism and not allowing yourself to truly address what is, I, I use this term by Joseph Campbell, beneath the light of your awareness. Okay, lots of people sit on things, they suppress things. And again, when we're considering this from an emotional point of view, emotions are energy in motion. That's why we call them feelings, because you feel the sensation of discomfort in your body, as well as the sensation of things like joy, happiness, etc. And so when people experience this, these feelings of discomfort, they don't want to go there. So now we start to formulate these uh, external sources of alleviation. 
And that can be, you know, that those can be manifested in any form of addicted style behaviors. But this is where I found myself. There was so much shit going on in my life and I was just not, I didn't know how to deal with it. I didn't know how to deal with it. I didn't know how to talk openly and honestly. I didn't know how to express my emotions, especially as a man, because this is something that I spend a lot of time working with my guys on. And um, yeah, you know, f- fast forward a few years through that eating disorder, and I was real. I was really in a sticky situation. You know, I got to a point where I was training multiple times a day, um, stuck in an awful cycle of binge eating, and then various forms of, of purge <clears throat> restricted habits only for that to happen again. And um, it was absolutely miserable. And yeah, by the time I got to my early 20s, I was like, I don't want to be alive anymore. You know, and um, I remember having that phone call with my mum, driving across a bridge, and I was just like, fuck it. I can just drive off this bridge and then it's all done. Then then I don't have to keep worrying about this, this incessant chit-chat of my inner critic. You've got to look like this. You don't look good enough. This is crap. This is crap. This is crap. All the time, all the time. It's just, it was living in hell. And what made it worse is that because I was sitting on it, I just pretended all the time. I was really, really good at pretending. That was that was kind of the, the the slight downside to the drama. Yeah, I was really good at acting. So people would say like, "How you doing? Yeah, great. You know, the, the light and joy of every party because I'd rock in with with all of the energy and all of the vibes. But it wasn't real. I wasn't being authentic. I wasn't being genuine. I wasn't being authentic. And um, yeah, I remember just having that phone call with my mum. Was just like, "Mum, I'm having the most terrible thoughts. Like, I'm, I need to go get some help." And that's kind of then where my recovery journey started. What was interesting with the recovery journey, you know, we're going back now around like 10 years. And during that time, in terms of eating disorder awareness and the services that were being provided, it was fairly minimum compared to what we have now. And even now, there are still a lot of, um, there are still a lot of pitfalls in terms of the help that people have access to and the effectiveness of the help that people have access to. And so I remember going to the doctors and the lady said to me, you know, what's going on? I was like, oh, I'm having suicidal thoughts. And she was like, uh, you know, do you want to go on some antidepressants? And I was just like, you don't know. You don't know how to help me. You don't know what's going on. I'm not taking antidepressants. I'm going to go and figure this shit out for myself. And so that's what I did. And I saw a couple of people, but the majority of my recovery just came from me. And, and my own journey going on this, I'm going to call it the self-exploration journey where I really started to tune in to be like, what happened? What happened? What haven't I dealt with? What am I still sitting on? And slowly but surely it just started to, to heal. When I came out of that recovery, that's when I was like, man, there's something in this. You know, I've been on an incredibly powerful journey. I have a very powerful story. And now I have such a desire to help people who have, experienced or experiencing what it was that I did, you know, and, and that's why what I do means so much to me because I've been there. So I know. Rory, I want to quickly go back to a point you made about getting help back then was quite minimal. And even now it's quite sort of not as clear cut as you maybe you'd like. Would you still say there's a stigma surrounding the topic of eating disorders, like a misunderstanding perhaps? I think there can be a misunderstanding for sure. Mm. Uh, I think social media, as as much as I have a love-hate relationship with it, I think it's been a great tool for spreading awareness. I mean, statistically, we've got, what, 1.25 million people in the UK who are currently struggling with eating disorders. And I think potentially the statistics could be higher, right? A lot of it, you know, requires people to actually come forwards about these things. I think in terms of the stigma, it's probably more geared towards men. Um 
which that's been something in the limelight for a number of years, given the annual suicide statistics, you know, 75% of annual suicides are male. So when it comes to mental health in general, and obviously eating disorders are a mental health related illness, um, there are a lot of men out there who aren't coming forwards. That was also something that, that I have made a priority in terms of coming forwards because people saw me on this kind of pedestal. It's like Rory Brown, trainer, you know, he's muscly, he's, he's driving around in these whatever cars and he's always happy all the time. So that's when I kind of broke all that down. I was just like, look, this is the truth. This was actually what was going on. And, and I think when you do that with guys, you know, when I have those kind of conversations with guys, I see them like, ah, soften. It's like, cool, you can be a man with me too because it's incredibly powerful and courageous to speak your truth. Okay. So, so that, that's been a real thing for me is like putting my message and, and, and sharing my story with both men and women so that they know that they don't need to hide from it. Cause th this is the piece around the shame. Yeah. It's shame that keeps things hidden. Shame is this sort of self blame. Why am I like this? I hate that I'm like this and I don't know what to do about it. So it's, it's often shame that keeps people from opening up and, and, and being vulnerable. Talk about your sort of your recovery process there. I think it starts to me, which is kind of that, that self-awareness piece almost. Mm. I feel like mm. we, we lack this ability to ask ourselves sometimes the difficult questions. We like to bury them. We know the questions we need to ask ourselves, but it's just easier to bury them and carry on. And I feel like it takes a lot of mental um, fortitude almost to just sit there in silence and say, right, I need to ask myself these difficult questions. Because once you ask them to yourselves, you can then start a path of a solution uh, and hopefully come out the other end. Mm. I mean, would, would you agree with that's kind of how you kind of did it, asking yourself those difficult questions? Mm. I, th I think that's certainly a key component to it. Mm. I, I like this formula that awareness precedes choice and choice precedes change. It is not until you are aware that you can start to address what essentially are these uh, old subconscious patterns and behaviors. Remember, from a behavioral standpoint, in its simplest form, you master what you do often. So if it's a good habit or a bad habit, it's there because you've done it so many times. Habits are a byproduct. If we, if we think about the formula, our thoughts create our beliefs. That's all beliefs are. Beliefs are not, a, a, a beliefs are not permanent. They are also not the truth. They are just your truth. So someone might have the belief, I'm not good enough. Well, that's just come from a thought process of telling them that's themselves so many times. Well, that's going to be based on all of our past experiences. Remember, this is where the majority of our um, human behaviors are formed between these incredibly uh, influential years of like zero and seven, seven and 14. Okay, those stages of life are big. This is when we learn a lot of our unhelpful patterns. And if left undealt with, we just continue to carry them without that level of awareness into adulthood. So, so yeah, this is when the self-inquiry piece is, is integral because you cannot change that which you are unaware of fundamentally. What, what would you say the people that the barriers people are facing kind of to wanting to ask these questions that you said that self-awareness thing there, that self-inquiry, what, why do you think people are not doing it? Is it fear? Is it scared? Is it just being scared maybe of change or something like that? Or Fear of, of fear is a big one, hundred mm. percent. We live in a day and age of distraction. Okay. Mm, sure. And the idea of self-inquiry is to go within. Okay. And quite literally, you know, if I close my eyes, I'm now looking internally. This is my opportunity to feel what's going on in my body. But because of all these distractions, it's so much easier that when I feel the fear, then I scroll. When I feel stressed and uncomfortable, then I grab the food and I put the TV on. Okay, and, and whatever else those external distractions may be. But, but this is part of the problem is that there's, 
yeah, that there's, I'm not going to say it's an unwillingness because I believe everybody would love to be able to change, but it's, it's the people aren't prepared to, to go to that place and experience that, that discomfort because it is uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable. You know, when you're going to those places and when you're doing that healing work, it's, it can be very, very challenging at times. However, it's incredibly rewarding in the long term, you know, and, and yes, yeah. there's so much interesting science that has come out in the last, you know, 10, 20, 30 years that explores what happens when on an energetics level, we are not giving ourselves permission to feel and to express and to heal our way through experiences. You know, people like Bruce Lipton, Peter Levine, these are all incredible individuals in the world of like neuroscience, cell biology, trauma, and fundamentally, what remains suppressed stays within the body. And this creates these states of dis-ease. Well, you stay in those states for prolonged periods of time and your body literally creates disease. And the work that we have from Bruce Lipton, you know, in his book, The Biology of, Bi the Biology of Belief, he suggests based on the, the evidence that around 95% of GP-related cases, 95% of GP-related cases are stress-based. And, and this is the problem. We, we live in a society of chronic stress. And, and what do we do? Like, we feed that with more stress. And this is also part of the problem. This is something that we need to be aware of in the, in, in the health and fitness industry, especially with the clients that we work with. Exercise is an external stressor. We can all agree on that, right? It's a, it's a stress on the body. Well, if and, and the hardest thing is, is that people will continue to do it because... You know, inevitably from like a, um, a neurotransmitter point of view, we get these feel-good hormones that flood our systems upon exercising. However, what we need to be addressing with a lot of people is the balance, okay? I have a tattoo on the inside of my forearm, which says Yang Yang. That is my reminder that on a day-to-day -day basis, I have to, as an individual, incorporate the yin, okay? The yin's this sort of the, the feminine energy. If we imagine the yin and the yang, how they beautifully encompass each other. This is what it means to be in balance between having the on the goness. This is that masculine energy, but also then having the ability to rest, to stop, to surrender. This is the feet, the feminine energy. And I think too, so many people are so out of whack and we see it, you know, in clinic, everyone who comes through our doors, they all have their blood results done. Cortisol levels are all through the roof, complete hormonal downregulation because of what it is that they are putting themselves through. We have lost the art of resting. Why? Because as soon as people rest, where are they? They're not in the bodies because they've become so disconnected. So where are they? They're up in their head with the ego, with the stories. And if you stay up here, you'll go crazy. Okay? Because the mind is a thought-producing mechanism. It produces thousands and thousands of thoughts a day. 95% of those thoughts are negative. Right? You stay up there and, and you're not going to be having a good time. And so what do you want to do? You want to numb that. Mm -hmm. So what do you do? You go to the doctors and you take some antidepressants. What does that do? It medicates the problem. It masks the problem as far as I'm concerned. Can they be useful? Mm. Let me just add a little thing in there. Can they be useful? Sure. There's a time and a place. Sure. But in terms of the mass production of these forms of medication that are dished out willy-nilly to everybody, that's the problem. It's a, mm. it's a mask, as you said, as opposed to dealing with the root cause of the issue. It's mm. a simple mask to numb the issue almost uh um, yeah short term mm. that's maybe a good thing for the individual they might feel you know they might not feel as bad as they did but long term is it really addressing the issue probably not because they're relying on as you said a, a bit of medication to numb the feeling instead of a dealing with the root cause of the issue mm. it's quite worrying actually isn't it when you think about it it's quite it's not it's not good that this is a mass thing that happens is it? it's not great mm. right.
Rory, what this kind of moves on to, I think, quite well, actually, is talking about a couple of uh, daily non-negotiables that I've seen, you know, you're, you're quite sort of um, transparent about and something you like to talk about quite a lot. Um, and that is the, you know, the, the art of the breath, uh, as, as I call it, uh, and meditation. Um, I mean, there'll be people listening now, they hear that, they hear the word breath work, they hear meditation, they might be thinking, they might, you know, there'll be thoughts of perhaps dismissal towards it of, oh, no, that's just all nonsense. But, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it and why you think it, you know, it's why it's worked for you and why, I mean, I, I think people listening who've been listening they'll realize you know they'll start to probably realize why but i'd love to hear your thoughts on why you think it's such a good tool or good mm. t- two good tools yeah cool great question um bill so <clears throat> let's let's kind of look at the science behind it fundamentally when we are stressed we have what is known as the stress response okay this is the activation of the sympathetic nervous system this prepares us for the phrases that we will all be familiar with the fight flight freeze, fawn responses, okay? Well, here's the thing, right? When your body is stressed, you cannot think logically because you're shutting down access to your prefrontal cortex because if you consider it, if you are in a natural state of threat, you ain't going to have time to be thinking logically. You need to act immediately. The danger is that the majority of people stay in that state very, very regularly. This is what creates the majority of illnesses. Like I said, Bruce Lipton, 95% of GP-related cases are a byproduct of stress, Okay, so this is what keeps people in these stressed states. Well, when we're in these stressed states, blood is always being pumped out to the extremities and not to the, uh, uh, the, the vital organs for the repair, the rejuvenation. And, and so this is where the illnesses start. Because when I'm stressed, I've got increased levels of cortisol, which impacts cognitive function. I've got increased levels of adrenaline, which impacts the immune system. This is what is making people sick. So why is the breath important? Well, Consider when we're stressed, how is our breathing, okay? Even on this podcast, between the three of us, I know I haven't done yet, but who, who of us has taken a proper full inhale through the nose into the belly breath? I haven't, because I've been talking so much. Mm. So let's just pause and yeah. we'll just do that right now, right? Yeah. <sighs> okay, it's a beautiful I mean, feeling. I, I mean, I've got hay fever, so I'm struggling. <laughs> <laughs> That's all good, Tom. That's all good, right? Yeah. I can show you some other practices, my friend. Uh, so so yeah. this is the piece. We spend so much time on autopilot. And as a result, the majority of us are in this chronic state of stress. Well, remember, like I said, you cannot think logically unless you are relaxed. So ultimately, if we want to be creating change, well, then we all need to be learning practices to regulate our nervous system. How do we do that? There are a number of ways. One of my go-tos is the breath. You see, when we change the way we breathe, when we start to breathe slowly, we show the body, the container. This is where all the answers lie. Nothing outside. All the answers lie within. The body is super beautiful and super complex. And I'll show my body that there is no threat. So what does my body do? It starts to activate the parasympathetic nervous system. This now shuts down these more automatic responses of the limbic system, the emotional mind, and allows access once again to the prefrontal cortex. So now I'm thinking more logically and thinking more rationally. Well, if we all thought a bit more logically and rationally, we'd all also have a better opportunity at dealing with the challenges that we're faced with. Okay. What the breathing does is it stimulates the vagus nerve. This is one of the cranial nerves, one of the longest of the cranial nerves. And what's really interesting with the, the vagus nerve is that Whilst the majority of our nerve responses carry information from the head down into the body, the vagus nerve carries more information from the body up to the head. When you're stressed, how does it manifest itself? Tension. Okay. 
unbeknown to us, but it'll be tension in the jaw, tension in the eyes because we're closing them too tight, tension in the belly, the solar plexus is where loads of people have tension, neck, shoulders, back. Well, when I start to breathe, I start to allow my body to release. I start to notice parts of the body where I'm holding tension and consciously release and relax those. And again, with practice, this isn't just a quick fix. And I think this is the problem for a lot of people. They sit down, they do it for two minutes. They've got freaking monkey mind going on and thinking, this is bollocks. This doesn't work. It's like, that's because <laughs> you've done it for one day for two minutes, right? Yeah. Try, doing it, try doing two minutes every day for six months and then see how you feel. All right. So, so that's the art of breath work. Breath work is the gateway to presence. That's what Eckhart Tolle said. Breath work is a beautiful way for us to access the parasympathetic nervous system to downregulate this stress response that we are exposed to on a regular basis. Then with the meditation, that was the second piece, Bill. Hmm. Meditation is the opportunity for self-inquiry. Okay. <clears throat> meditation is my opportunity to, again, I'm looking in the body. And so what I'm looking for is, and, and I'll give you a, an example, right? I'm just allowing myself to recognize what's going on inside. Okay. What's happening inside me right now? And that might be like, ah, I'm, I'm aware that I'm having thoughts that X, or I'm aware that there's a load of tension in my belly. Okay. Now, I, I love this method uh, from an incredible clinical uh, uh, psychologist, and she's beautiful with the holistic side of her approach. Her name's Tara Brack, and she has what's called the RAIN meditation. And this is just a really nice structure for people to work through. This is often because every session that I do with my clients, we always start with the guided meditation and a body scan. Why? Well, because most of them are jumping in like stressed. So I'm just like, hey, let's just pause. Let's get body and mind in the desired state for today's session. And this, this rain meditation is wonderful because I can recognize what's going on. Well, when you recognize what's going on, you take away its power. Okay. Because I can say rather than I'm stressed or I'm scared, I can say there is fear inside me. Right. I detach myself from this emotional response. There is discomfort inside me. There is sadness inside me. There is shame inside me. I label that emotion. Because I've labeled it, I take away its power. Well, once I've, accept, once, once I've addressed what's going on, I then have the A in RAIN, which is acceptance and acknowledgement. This is a key component in self-compassion. And the question that Tara Brack poses to people is this, can I be with this or can I let this be? Right, is this just some silly thing that I can let go of and it's fine? Or can I just accept the fact that this is the reality of the moment, that, I'm, that there is stress inside me, that my body's feeling pretty uptight? Can I just accept that that's what's going on? Because this was the piece we were talking about before about distractions. So many people can't accept that. Well, the cool thing is that when you do, these emotional responses, like they will pass so much quicker. Right? You can spend weeks sitting on something or you can spend 10, 15 minutes sitting with something and it's the sitting with it's the processing, it's the acknowledgement and the acceptance that really starts the movement, the shift. Once I've acknowledged and accepted, I can then investigate what's caused this. What triggered that response earlier in that conversation that I had with my partner or with my family or that stressful situation I had at work? What was that bringing up for me? What does that remind me of? Okay. And then the final piece the N, so we've got recognize, acknowledge, investigate, and then the N is nurture. What does that vulnerable part of me need? Yeah, maybe it needs some self-reassurance. I'm okay. I'm safe. Everything's fine, right? I'm looking after all parts of me. Remember, we're not just one, okay? Whilst we have the eye of the ego, we're made up of many parts of ourselves. 
Lots of these parts are very, very young. They need our love. Okay, fundamentally, we all need to be heard. We all need to be seen. We all need to feel loved. That process, that practice is allowing ourselves, giving ourselves permission to be heard, to be seen, and to be loved. So I think the uh, I, I think that is a practice in, in terms of the importance of meditation. It, it's for that. It's for your ability to to step away from the busyness and the distraction of the world and to spend more time getting to know yourself. I really like that because it's something I, I tend to say to people sometimes. I mean, obviously, I'm not saying emotions aren't important, but I feel like that detachment sometimes from emotion to think logically, thinking logically over emotionally. Because I think when you when you think too emotionally, you can be quite rash. Um, oh, and you yeah. said you're not you're not clear with how you approach things. If you can detach yourself through maybe things like meditation and breath work, uh, detach yourself from that emotion and think logically, I think, yeah, that is a really good place to kind of start to address in it. I think that's what I found myself personally. I always find when I think logically, there's always a, there's always a better outcome. I mean, literally, what is it like when you take a step back, take a mm. breath, and then, you know, make yeah. a decision instead of just going rash, you know, it saved me a lot of arguments. Of course. And and here's the, and here's the thing that I just... Sentences, probably. Yeah. <laughs> here's the thing that I just want to add in there. We're, whilst we are detaching from the identity of the emotion, because a lot of people will come in and they'll say, oh, I'm just an anxious person. And I say, no, you're not. There is a part of you that is anxious, Right. How young is that part of you? Like, when did this anxiety start? What caused it? You know, that way we can start to put the piece of the puzzle together. Actually, what I encourage people to do is to think less and feel more. Okay? Because remember, emotions are energy in motion. Well, if you don't allow yourself to feel them and move through them, that's when they stay stuck. That's when they then reside in the body. And you can't just think your way through that shit. You have to feel your way through that shit. That's where things like embodiment practices are so damn important. This is where we have things like somatic psychology which again is, is the premise of working with the body and working with emotions and trauma because trauma stays in the body. You know, it stays in, in the cells. It stays in the fascia. It stays inside us. We have to literally move that stuff through. So part of my practice includes things like shaking. Okay. Shaking is such an overrated, uh, an underrated and undervalued exercise, but shaking is really, really cool. If you're feeling stressed and wonky, Set a timer for 90 seconds, shake everything, shake your face, <laughs> shake your hands, have a little jump around, shake your legs, move at the waist. You are quite literally moving the energy through your body in that moment. How do we know that? Well, the animal kingdom is our best example. Everyone who's listening to this and you guys, we've all seen David Attenborough. Okay. Well, next time, like watch closely, watch closely when the zebra gets away from the claws and the jaws of the lion, right? It runs off, sprints off, has a little shake and then cracks on with its day. It doesn't go home to the rest of the tribe and think, oh my gosh, guys, I've had such a terrible day. I'm going to upload this onto Facebook. Quick, can someone get me a drink? I need to, you know, suppress this terrible thing that's just happened. No. Okay, they just allow themselves to feel, to move through it, and move forwards. This is the piece that we've forgotten. So yeah, my my practice is encouraging people to feel, not try, feel their way through things, not think their way through things. When you made that sort of animal kingdom analogy there, it just made, it just made me, my mind cast you back to the distraction piece of, it's so, obviously for them, they haven't got, you know, the distractions that perhaps we have, and they, they maybe why well, they find it so easy to do that. For us, I feel like we struggle to allow ourselves to feel because of all these other distractions, all these other coping mechanisms, maybe. Mm. Um, and I mean, I, I don't know how, how, how to address that 
in a, on a large scale but I think it's something that needs to happen because yeah we are so distracted that we're not really giving ourselves the opportunity to allow ourselves to feel um, which is I think what we need to actually make impact uh, there, there's your awareness it. piece can I just start tuning in to how I'm showing up every day what's the first thing I do when I wake up right? I wake up and I think ah fuck it's work check my phone right pump ourselves full of coffee caffeine all of these other kind of things cracking with my day right i'm driving but i'm also checking my phone and i'm listening to music how often are we actually just present in those moments so again this is what i would uh, where i would encourage people to start becoming aware of their habits on a day-to-day basis and you don't need to change all of those things in one go on the contrary it would be folly to approach it that way but get serious about this stuff if you're having a terrible time and you keep going to pick up your phone, it's like, ah, I'm aware that every time I'm stressed, I pick my phone up. So there's the self-soothing piece. It's like, what would happen if I put my phone down and actually just allow myself to feel this experience? Yeah, I, I always like this process again. I've just started getting loads of tattoos because they all tell a story. And I've got this beautiful sword on my arm. And this, this sword is all about what it means to carve your character. So, so for me, you know, just because I'm a practitioner and I do what it is that I do, it doesn't mean that I've got all the the answers to all of the solutions. And it doesn't mean that every day I'm just kind of, you know, f- floating through in this sort of Zen style fashion. On, on the contrary, I still experience stress. You know, I still experience triggers. But the difference now is, okay, cool. I'm aware that that's happened. And I'm aware of what it is that I can do for myself in order to help myself through this situation. That's the piece. Start becoming more aware. Roy, before we move on to the, the next part of the show, speaking of that self-awareness piece, I want to kind of, you maybe dig, dig deep now. You've been in this industry quite a long time. You've had a massive sort of change, as you said, about nearly about four years ago now. What would you say has been the biggest change in yourself personally since you started on this this professional health and fitness journey to where you are today? Mm, growing up. Growing up. Mm-hmm. Being aware of my boyish behaviours. And, and actually starting to tune into what it meant to step into the shoes of being a man. You know, think about it in the context of relationships. I just used to run from relationships all the time. Anytime they get hard, don't like confrontation, I'm off. Okay. Sure, that's a protective mechanism, but it's the protective mechanism of, of the young boy in me. Okay. So it started to be like, okay, what's it like when I show up? What's it like when I start speaking my truth? What's it like when I allow myself to be vulnerable? You know, and, and as part of that process, and and even I'll tell you, I'm going to let you guys in on something. Because again, I'm always happy to, to be vulnerable and to share stories and lessons if I think they are valuable. Um, even a few years ago, you know, I was aware of these kind of patterns. And I'd uh, been on a date with this girl. And we had a really lovely time. And then afterwards, I, I just like, I ghosted her, right? Which is such an immature thing to do. But it was, it was all I knew how to do in that moment. Cause I was like, Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Thinking too much, not feeling just thinking like, was it like this? Do I want to see her again? How's this going to go? Just, just loads of shit. And so I messaged her, right? I was, for some reason we were traveling back at the weekend and I thought of her and I, and that situation came to my mind. So you know what I did? I picked up my phone. I went onto Instagram, got a profile and sent her a message. And I just said, Hey, I'm not expecting a reply from this. I just want you to let you know, uh, that I have that absolute level of awareness that the way I showed up to you in the context of that date was was boyish and immature. And and ghosting you was the completely wrong approach to it. And so for that, I'm, I apologize. You know, it's like it's like the taking responsibility for your shit. 
it's it's the ownership piece. In order to own your ship, you have to own your shit. That's an expression that one of my my great pals, Callum, says. Yeah. So so that was it. It was like growing up. Own your shit, Rory. You know, everyone has a story. Stop stop pushing this stuff down. Stop suppressing. Tune into your relationships. Okay, and why you struggle being or why you struggled being in relationships. That was always the reoccurring piece for me. That's where my triggers would continue to reveal themselves. Relationships, guys, are where you will learn the most valuable tools about yourself because they are essentially a mirror to yourself. Okay. You will see more of yourself in that other person that then causes you to think like, oh, don't like that. And it's like, ah, it's because you don't like that part of you. So relationships are an incredibly, incredibly um, powerful thing that we all have the beautiful opportunity to, to, to be in, even with friends, family. But our relationships mirror what's actually going on in your own internal world. So that was it for me. It was just, yeah, it was the growing up. It was the shedding of, of the boy and the stepping into being a man, becoming more aware, having like this piece around your word is your worth. You're only as good as the thing that you say you're going to do. Lots of people kind of, lots of people chat shit and don't actually follow through with anything. You know, all of this kind of stuff. These have all been the biggest learning things for me. And also going, you know what? Another thing, going all in, man. Going all in. Okay, we've got one life. Go all in. Find that thing you fucking love. Find that person you fucking love. And go all in. Don't half-ass it. When I was at school, I was there for the socials. And sure, that was fine, but it didn't get me anywhere. Because I just cheated all the time. Just cheated on my studies and cheated on my learning and just read a little bit and cracked on. When I started getting into this stuff, because I loved it so much, like... I don't know, the the thousands of hours worth of studying and reading and the thousands of hours that I've done on a clinical setting with people, like, it's mind-blowing. But it's because I love it so much. So, yeah, we, we've got we've got one life here. Enjoy it. You know, make the most of it. Go all in. I think this all just kind of centers around this um, this, this awareness piece of kind of like, as you're saying there, I think we've we got these distractions. We're always in this autopilot state. And I think just having that moment to be aware of our feelings, aware of what makes us happy, aware of what's important to us, aware of what's going to have the biggest impact. And you said, just going all in on it, mm. being aware that we've only got a certain amount of time on this planet. What makes me happy? Self-reflection. Yeah, self-reflection. What makes me happy? What's going to make me happy in the future? What's mm. going to have the biggest impact on, you know, the things that mean the most to me? Um, mm. And just doing it and going all in because I think we get stuck in this autopilot system of, you know, the whole cliche of nine to five, weekends, go out, go on the, go on the lash, whatever, and you just get through the stuck in this cycle. Mm. Um, but what's that really doing for me? Mm. But we we suppress it. We don't we don't have that awareness piece. And we just go with it in this autopilot. And the next, you know, it's too late. We're in our 40s, 50s. Um, and you realize, shit, what have I actually done? So if we could yeah. do it early, have that. I mean, I'm not saying it's, it's never too late, but I'm saying if you could do it early and have that awareness piece, then mm. yeah, for sure, long term. No, it's never, it's never too late. Never too late to create change. No. You know, even into your 60s, your mm -hmm. 70s, your 80s, it's never too late to change. Um, I remember a beautiful mm -hmm. question that me and my friends, because I've been living over in Spain, and um, before I left, I had a beautiful breakfast with two of my friends, Gabby and Ronnie. And I said, guys, we were just talking about life, because I love those kind of conversations. They're meaningful. And um, we all posed this question to each other, and then we all recorded our responses to each other. And the question was this. And I, I think this comes from The Chimp Paradox, which is a really cool book. It's kind of, kind of an, an insight into the mind and simplifies it for the masses. And one of the questions in there is, what advice would you give to your younger self? You have 60 seconds. Mm. You're on your deathbed. <laughs> wow. What is the advice that you give to your younger self? That's a powerful question. Okay. Because the greatest regrets of, of those that die is like, I didn't live true to my purpose. I wasn't authentic. I ran away from relationships. I wasted so much time. 
Um, I remember doing talks in schools and, and working out from, from, again, the evidence is, it's mixed, right? But it gives us a guideline that suggested based on the amount of time we spend on our phones, if you were to calculate that through the average lifespan of an individual, the total amount of time accumulated on devices, guess. What would you say? I don't want to be horrifying. It's, um, it's, it's going to be a long duration, isn't it? It's going to be... 12 to 15 years. 12 to 15 years of your life on your phone. Doing what? What are you looking at? How is that impacting your life? Yeah. How is that influencing your life? Is that cultivating joy or comparison? Right? These are all questions that we want to be asking ourselves. And and like I, I sit up here as though I'm on my high chair being like, oh, yeah, spend less time on your phone. Hell, I have to have those conversations with myself. On the reg, I have to set out limits because you can just get carried away. Of course <laughs> you, you can. That. That's, what they've, that's <laughs> what they've designed to do. You know, these companies <laughs> have designed these things to grab us in. But here's the thing, guys, is that the more grabbed in you are by all of these external distractions, the, the less you get to know yourself. This is why so many people are so insecure and, and shells of, of their actual genuine authentic selves. And I hate it because I feel it. You know, when I meet these people, I have this such drive to be like, hey, let's let's come on. Come on this awesome journey with me. I've been on it. I'm still on it. I'm always going to be on it because it's cool. And what's the alternative? Monday to Sunday on the couch in front of the TV? Nah, I'm good. Because I don't want to look back at my life and think, I'm so pleased to watch all those shitty Netflix series. I want to look back and think, wow. <laughs> I led my life with purpose. I was on a mission and it also impacted the lives of many in a very positive way and had loads of fun, right? Because I loved, I love having fun. It's not all work and serious in mind. It's like, hey, let's let's go and have fun too. And that links back to that stress piece, isn't it? If you're not having fun, you, you, the likelihood that you're probably going to be stressed. So. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Loads of, and again, this is the problem yeah. with technology is loads of people have lost the art of deep play, creativity. I, I was talking to a client about this today. And one of the pieces that really came up for us was around emotional self-regulation. And she was like, I struggle to be by myself for prolonged periods of time. And when we really started to explore it, she realized that for such a long time as a byproduct of the eating disorder taking over, that she had lost her connection to fun and to joy, which like as little people, that's all that we want to do. It's just exploration and fun and creativity and drawing and painting and using our hands and playing music. We don't do any of those things anymore. So, so for me, like hobbies and creativity are huge. I love my big things, music. I love playing music. So I, I DJ loads and I love it. Two, three hours just on the decks and I'm in. It's mindful. And, and what's beautiful, it is these forms of deep play activities, which are so incredibly rejuvenating and restoring for the mind it's when the brain actually rests the most when we're in deep mindful activity again this is where meditation comes in because it's a form of mindfulness hmm. I mean, you kind of alluded to the sort of things you're up to rory so i'd like to sort of talk more about currently what you're doing and sort of the impact you're having and kind of through the, what those sort of means something i've noticed is, uh, is your binge eating workshop you want to quickly just talk about that how that sort of what, what's going on with that because that seems yeah. quite interesting for us, yeah yeah, so, so there's, there's been lots of, of bits and pieces that are going on at the moment. Uh, and I'm currently in a, I suppose, a stage of self-reflection in terms of where I'm taking my business. So obviously I've been working in clinic and continuing to do so, which I love. I'm looking to branch out and do my own private bits and pieces. And obviously outside of a clinical setting, that's where I'm specializing in the binge eating side of things. Working privately with like anorexics and, and bulimics 
without that clinical supervision, it's going to be problematic because we need bloods. And like, I'm not a clinical dietitian, so that's not that's outside of my remit. So again, in, from like an integrity piece, I have this real desire to lead predominantly women. Right? There's a piece coming in on men here, but but predominantly women on a journey to freedom, leading them to freedom. So what I'm working on creating at the moment with a dietitian friend of mine is a 10-week intensive course designed for women. And something that's really setting this workshop aside is that we're going to be spending a hell of a lot of time, sure, talking about the behavioral side of things because binge eating obviously is the psychological, but it's also the physiological, usually a byproduct of restriction. Okay, So we're talking about both sides of those. We're also, because we're working with females, we're going to be really educating women around contraception and how to manage things like their training, their rest, and their nutrition around their cycle. This is also something else that personal trainers need to be educated on because it's so damn important, right? Woman comes in on the first day of bleed. You need to send that woman home. You go and rest, hun. <laughs> go and chill. You ain't here for your one rep max, right? <laughs> You, you need to go home and rest. This, this is something that, that everybody needs to be more educated on. So this is what sets my course aside. It's like no one else is doing this. No one else has that level of the nutrition, the behavior, and also diving in deep to some of these incredibly important topics. That's going to be going live on the 7th of August. I haven't done any marketing for it yet. I'm just starting to put out the feelers and, and get numbers for people who would be interested. Uh, so that's super, super exciting. I then want layers to my business. So I do the want the private stuff, the one-on-ones. I then want this group workshop. And then underneath that, I would love to do some work with men. And again, working with men and women is differently different energetically. Okay, For men, I want to get men involved in learning how to step up, learning how to be vulnerable, learning how to show up in relationships. But doing that in the context of training, teaching men how to train properly and to move their bodies properly. And to be able to open up conversations around the way. Men like that sort of that challenge. You know, I want to take a group of guys off. I'm going to do some retreats. So whether or not those retreats will be in Ibiza or the UK or anywhere else around the world, I don't know. I'm going to go global. That's the idea, right? But I want to take groups of men on these amazing trips. Be like, guys, let's all come and hang out, right? Tell me what's yeah, going sign on. Sign up, Rory. I'm there. I'm there, mate. We're, we're, cool, man. We'll be good. Appreciate it. Yeah, I'll let you know. I'll let you know. And then yeah. underneath that, this this final little level, I'm aware from a, a like a business point of view because I love business as well. I'm really fascinated by business and the mindset and the energetics behind business. The final piece is having a product. And for me, I set up a number of years ago. We also have a podcast, guys, called the Get Strong Podcast. And um, that's with yeah. one of my friends, my co-host, Callum. But a long time ago, I created these really sick t-shirts, really, really cool, really cool graphics. And I'm like, hey, there's something in this where I want to create a, a brand within the health and the fitness industry, which is not about aesthetics, which let's be honest, the majority of fitness brands are. I want this yeah. brand to be about what it means to you personally to get strong, okay? To get strong on a mental, physical, spiritual, and emotional level, right? Considering these sort of the, the, the pillars of strength. Um, so that's, those are sort of the tears to my, to my work. So there's a lot going on. I'm a busy boy. Busy man, yeah, you're mm. all over the place. Aren't you? But it's all about, as you said, making that impact. And this is the sort of stuff where you, you know you can look back on and be like, "This is where I spent my time. Mm. This is what I was doing to, to make real change to people's lives." Because you can easily get, especially even as a PT, you can easily get stuck in that that auto stuff. You know, that auto cycle of literally going into the gym, training the same four clients. That's it. 
yeah. and you go through that constant cycle where there's always going to be different challenges there's always going to be different you know where it's an ever-changing world there's always going to be new challenges coming up because of where we are as a society and i think attacking all these different areas it's making more impact i'd say not only for not only from a you know a gen pop situation but for yourself as well as a person mm. because if you get stuck in that cycle you're not growing no. so you're pushing yourself out there taking on these challenges you're growing as an individual as well which is important yeah that as your self-piece as well so yeah 100 percent so yeah, it's exciting exciting times man We're going to move on to, to a couple of uh, bonus questions now, Rory. I mean, these are normally just completely off the rails. No idea what's going on. I'm not sure if Tom's got anything. Um, I, I was going to ask, but you've kind of already alluded to it, so it kind of stole my thunder a little bit. I was basically going to ask, you know, can we get an introduction to uh, DJ Rory Brown? Because I've seen you're into, you're into your mixing, you're into your music. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Did you do anything in our beaver? How, how was that? How, 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 when did that come around? How, so, so, no, no, no. I was not, I was not out in Ibiza uh, DJ by any means. I was still, DJ still, and, still doing yeah. everything, still doing everything I'm doing right now. Um, yeah. Ibiza life was great. I've got, <laughs> got friends and stuff over there. I say it was great. There was some, again, plenty of challenges came up. But I was like, whew, cool. This is bringing up some stuff for me. This is interesting. Um, but I have a group of beautiful friends out there. I love the lifestyle. And, and I'm not talking about the party lifestyle that people have the association of with, uh, with Ibiza. I love the slower pace of life. I love that I can start work at 10 o'clock in the morning. I love that it's 23 degrees when I wake up. I love that I can go to the beach after work and go and sit and do my qigong and swim in the sea and have some beers with my pals. I love all that kind of stuff. And yeah, I also love to party because I love music so much. Um, in terms of the DJing, oh, been doing it for quite a long time. I don't know how many years, but a number of. Um, big fans of, of I, I love music, period. So if there's some beautiful classical music, not that I DJ with it, right? And DJ with, with Leonardo, uh, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, I was about to say Ludvico yeah. Iannari. Don't, don't DJ any of his work. But I love listening to classical music. Um, I spent a lot of time growing up. I always loved heavy metal, like proper scary death metal when I was a kid. Yeah, and um, so yeah. always drumming. So like proper heavy metal drumming. I think I had like a 23-piece, 24-piece drum kit. It was huge. So uh, much like my parents' angst and, and my neighbors hating on us as a household. When it then transitioned in, into the DJing, so it's me, my brother, and, and my best mate, Alzi. We all do a lot of mixing together. Love, like, old-school dubstep. Love drum and bass. Love house. Love tech. Love electro. And we just, and like, funk and, and jazz and just a mix of everything. And we just put all those just in everything. Yeah, it's yeah. Yeah. yeah, so, yeah, a few times a week, we're always jumping on the decks. Basically, uh, all the sounds of, like, an old-school 90s startup modem. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Thrown, in with, thrown in with some yeah. naughty 2022 uh, new bits as well. Uh, and, uh, and a cello. That's it. Yeah. And a cello, yeah. 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 <laughs> Little cello in the background. Yeah, nice. Yeah. And is that just like a hobby for you, is it? Kind of, you ever going to sort of, any aspirations to maybe do any gigs or anything? Or maybe yeah, mate. 100%. 100%. We're often talking about it as a household saying like, guys, we're, we're like wasted talent because we're all pretty damn good at what we do. So it's like, let's stick some mixes together and let's just start putting some stuff out. Even just around here, like where I live in, yeah, sure. in Norfolk, just putting out some feelers to some of the local bars, for example. There are a couple of people that we've spoken to in the past were like, yeah, we'd love to get you in. Where that will take things, I don't know. For me, it's a hobby. So it's it's not something that I would get yeah. so heavily yeah. involved if it then started to detract from other areas of my life. But I would love to put on a good show for people because we, we know our music very well. We spend a lot of time really studying and like finding loads of beautiful new music, we I think we know what people like hundred percent. Rory, here's an idea, mate. When we uh, go to your 
awesome retreat in the future we can have a closing party there you go uh, you could be that you could you could host it big big there performance review on, on it decks. i'll add that to the list mate thank yeah. you <laughs> and it's, yeah that'd be good that'd be a good really good laugh yeah awesome have you got anything tom have you got anything you want to ask off the cuff? i mean mine automatically got answered because i was going to ask about kind of like living outside the uk etc and pretty much really answered everything anyway know, yeah. he's he's... so now i've got to think of a quick one so I've, I've got one i've got one and that is so in regards to the music and the breath work is there any way we can kind of combine that it's like could you have like halfway through a set like you're 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 rising up the oh. the, the, the beat the track <laughs> it's rising up but before the beat drops you're like right breathe and then i'll drop the beat <laughs> not sure how well that would go down <laughs> I, I don't know about seconds that, and then i'll let the beat drop <laughs> do, do some wim hof while we're raving um instead of like a fo- instead of like a foam party it could be like an ice bath drops down yeah, like, yeah. Oh God. shocks everyone's Mega nervous wim systems um in, yeah there you go in, in ibiza they have i didn't actually go to any but in ibiza they have an interesting concept called ecstatic dance and ecstatic dance is essentially so, like it's like sober raving um so so people go and they dance because because again like movement super important very therapeutic music and sound also very therapeutic so again when you put those two things together this is why like again when i go out on nights out man you'll see me throwing all kinds of crazy shapes i'm not the man who's sort of just holding his beer awkwardly two-stepping you know i always say to my friends if they're doing that i'm like come here just relax, like move your arms around your plonker, just have some fun. So, so yeah, music yeah. and dancing, man, they, they both go hand in hand. And lots of men need teaching how to dance because lots of men are stiff on the dance floor. Well, sober no bill as well. Yeah. <laughs> we can talk about our tax returns as we do it. Yeah. That, yeah. That'll, that'll riveting that time. Well, where are we? Or, or evasion as we've discussed. <laughs> oh, God. Right. I, I've lost track. I don't even know where we're about now. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, there, Rory. It's been uh, really cool to talk to you. Very, you know, it's been a very different conversation to some we've had in the past. I think that's what it's good. It's going to be very unique in this uh, Chatter PT series, which I think will uh, be like a breath of fresh air, almost. Uh, pardon the pun uh, to our, to our listeners out there. Yeah. So, well, if people want to find you, they want to get in touch with you, maybe sort of you know follow you on your journey. Where'd be the best place for them to go to? Yeah, so you know, today's business cards are our social media platforms. Type in at Rory Thomas Brown, and uh, you'll find me on Facebook. You'll find me on Instagram. I'm usually I'm most active on Instagram. Obviously, the two platforms feed into each other now. But yeah, Instagram's my go-to. And if you want to get in touch, you, my website's about to go live. Probably by the time this goes live, my website might be live, which will be RoryThomasBrown.com. Uh, oh, will it? No, I think it's RoryBrown.org actually. So I can confirm that with with followers. Okay. I think it's yeah www.rorybrown.org, um, and you can email me on info at rorybrown.org as well if you want to get in touch about anything. Awesome, guys! I'll have those details down in the show notes if anyone's interested. So if you uh, forget that, you can just go down, click a nice little link, and it'll uh, take you straight there. I'd recommend going and definitely giving uh, Rory a follow. Put some good good stuff out on his Instagram. So yeah, definitely go check that out. But yeah, thanks for that. Spending your time with us this evening. It's been a yeah, thank really you very good conversation. much. Pleasure, guys. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. See you again soon. Yeah, pleasure's always, thank you guys. Very much, Rory. See you again soon. See you later. As always, thanks for listening. If you are new around here, we'd love for you to stick around and get stuck into our vast back catalogue. We cover lots of topics, including chatting with more guests, of course, with uh, chat and PTs, but we dive into recovery methods. We look at different diets. We've looked at supplements. Um, we've looked at myths as well. Um, and more recently, we've got a series called Is It Bad For You? where we look at all sorts of things and come to a pretty solid conclusion by the end if something is indeed bad for you. So there's lots and lots to get into. I think we're nearly at 100 episodes now. I think we've actually had 100 episodes. I'm not even sure. We've got a lot of episodes, basically. So yeah, if you are new around here, get stuck into all those. But yeah, hopefully you enjoyed that. Um, and we will see you next week, same time, same place, 
for a brand new episode. See you soon.